The Apostle Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 13, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Perhaps you're familiar with this text. But what about faith and hope? Shouldn't we spend some time talking about these two important things? Faith and hope. That's our topic on this edition of Craving Answers, Craving God. I'm Chuck Rathert with Aaron Miller. Aaron is the pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. Aaron, maybe we don't need to talk about faith or hope because everybody already knows everything they need to know about these two topics. Is it your judgment that Christians are well-informed about faith and hope? I think all humans are aware of their need for faith and hope. We all, all of us long for something to trust in. We all, we all long for something that's dependable, something that when, when you give your life to it, it pays out. And we all are aware of the need for hope, that the, the, this notion that things, we all need to believe that things are going to get better, that things are going to pay out in the end, that things are going to pan out. Um, now, do we understand, I mean, the problem is, is that you know, for, for all of us humans, the question is, what can I trust in that's actually going to make sense, that's going to that's going to be solid enough to to make everything turn out all right, which, of course, that's related to hope as well. What can I put my hope in that's actually going to come true? So it's not, I don't know, but maybe the definitions are something we can talk about. But the, the main question that we'll come down to for all humans is what is it, what is it that can actually give me real hope? What is it that I can actually trust in? So on the subject of faith, I think we're in luck if we want to know what faith is, we can go to the scripture. Hebrews 11 gives us a definition. Beginning with verse 1, we read, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This seems to me to be the opposite of the way the world uses the term faith. At least that's the way I look at it. I think the world would say something like, Faith is the experience of seeing the outcome of things that you have hoped for, and experiencing the conviction that comes from what you have seen. If that worldly definition is, in fact, the way the world sees it, then those two things are diametrically opposed, Hebrews 11 and the world def, uh, world's definition. Um, yeah, I, th I think that um, the way... So the way that uh, Christianity would say is that uh, we come to trust in God, we come to have faith in God because we have an experience of him in his word. And uh, for many Christians, they would say in his word and in his sacraments. Um, faith is, in, in the Christian story, faith is something that happens in a relationship. It's something that happens when we have an experience of God and we come to trust in him. More, way, way, way more similar to uh, you know, my faith that my mom loves me. I think I've used that example before. Um, it's it's relational. It's connected with her. It's connected with how I relate to her. And it's less that than, uh, you know, gathering up evidence and examining the evidence and then uh, seeing, you know, which which of my positions, you know, am, 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 I in, uh, am I going to believe A or am I going to believe non-A? 
let's gather the evidence and then weigh them out against each other with the pros and cons. That's really not the way faith, real faith works for anybody. Now, I mean, it's a, that's a certain definition, I guess, you can, people can appeal to, like you're saying, maybe you're imagining like people, people believe things that can be verified by the senses. Um, uh, it's kind of a shallow view of faith. Nobody really actually does that. Uh, in fact, you know, if I if I see, uh, if I'm trying to think of a good example here, if I if I see something in the news, my first thought isn't like, well, I can see that on the TV screen; it must be true. Or, um, you know, if I hear, if I think that I hear a ghost upstairs in my house, I don't think, well, my ears hear something; there must be a ghost. I, you know. Uh, I hardly ever gather up evidence, especially for like the most important things. Like, does my mom love me? I, I hardly, I can't remember a time in my life when I've thought, okay, let me make two lists. Uh, one list of things that show my mom loves me and another list of things that show she doesn't love me and let me weigh those out and then decide uh, whether I can prove or not that she loves me. I just kind of live in it. And it makes sense of my relationship with her. Look, I, I've got no problem calling my mom on the phone right now and she would talk to me. And I'm convinced of that because I know she loves me. I know it. I have faith in it. Know it. It means the same thing to me. Faith and know mean the same thing there. Well, it also makes sense of this. When I call her, she'll answer and she'll be, hey, honey, how are you doing? That's what she'll say. So my love of her pays out in returned phone calls that are eagerly accepted. There's other people in my life that if I called them you know, every day they'd start to be like, well, you know what, maybe you should think about how I'm busy this time of the day and quit calling me once every other. Well, uh, I, I know that they don't love me in the same way that my mom loves me. It, it all comes down to that relationship. And that's what's different for Christians is that our, our faith in God is not based on any sort of, it's not against the evidences, but the evidences come second. The faith happens and then the evidences start making sense. St. Augustine talked about it this way. Real faith is faith seeking understanding. And the way, maybe you're saying this, Chuck, the way that uh, the, the modern man would, would uh, frame it is, is that understanding leads to faith. But, but actually, it's the opposite. Actually, it is the opposite, which is, I think, a source of the confusion that may happen when a Christian person starts talking about faith to a, a non Christian or an unbeliever using that term. There's going to be confusion just by the use of that term. So I'm thinking, let's say uh, Aaron Miller's a millionaire and he's got a banker and the banker is handling your investments and he's done that for 20 years. And every year you had more money than you had at the beginning of the year. The banker has done a great job and you say, I trust that guy. That guy has been a faithful banker. Why? Because for 20 years he has proved himself with the evidence of really smart banking or investment. But the Bible says that faith is a gift. It doesn't have anything to do with, well, I think I'll be a Christian for 20 years and, and see how that works out. And after 20 years, yeah, I think I'm going to go with it. It doesn't work that way. Um, we're saved by grace, through faith, on account of Christ. It is the gift of God. Um, those two things couldn't be further apart, I don't think. Or am I overstating it? Um. I would say this is that with your illustration of the banker, actually the act of, I don't come to faith after 20 years of him taking care of my money. 
I, I don't get to the 20 years of him taking care of my money unless I first commit faith, unless I first give him the money. I have to give him the money first, and then comes the 20 years of the evidences. And, and I would argue that that's the way faith always works, and that in Christianity, it's the same way. And now you've introduced the other element of you know, faith. For Christians, this faith in Jesus is a supernaturally given gift. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Because, but, but it's not because, it's not against the evidences. It's because our human hearts don't want to believe that there's a God who's the Lord of the universe who I have to answer to. And the only way for it to believe that is for the Holy Spirit himself to convince us. But the way he does it isn't in a vacuum without any sort of like, I, I hate to use the word evidences because it's so modern. And so, you know, it hints around it like the, the proofs come first and then the faith. But it happens when we read the word. When we immerse ourselves in the drama of redemption that is the story of the Bible, when we get ourselves into that and we read that story and insert ourselves mentally and spiritually into the story as we're reading it, God himself, and this is what you're alluding to, Chuck, this really, really beautiful truth from the Bible, that God himself starts to shape and transform our lives to believe that this is the real story. But to go back to St. Augustine, you're, you don't get that evidence until the faith. You, you get yourself into the story, and then you start to see, holy cow, all this stuff makes sense. You deposit your money in the bank, and then you start getting the, the statements in the mail or in the email that say, uh, you earned such and such an interest this month. But the, the trusting and, and so some some people are like and here's a practical uh, uh, practical outworking of what you're talking about. A lot of people are like, I can't believe in God unless He proves Himself to me. I need evidences. And actually, what the Bible is saying is, no, you come to God first in faith, which, like you say, can only be given by the Holy Spirit, and then the evidences will start coming, the proofs will start coming, but the faith happens first. So faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, as opposed to, I think, the way the world works. If I give the banker my money, and three years later I've lost half of it, I'm getting a new banker. I mean, you know, that's that's the evidence of his work. But that's different, and I think I hear you saying this, than the way it works in the kingdom of God. Yeah. Yeah, so seeing is believing. It is what and what I'm saying, what St. Augustine is saying, what St. Paul is saying is that believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. Uh, the, the, uh, we come to Christ first in faith, and then everything else starts to make sense. The proofs start to happen. So for the person who's listening to us right now and heard you say believing is seeing, and right away that's like, wait, stop, stop, stop. Yeah. Uh, that sounds like that Christian gobbledygook, you know, I'm supposed to believe it before I see anything. That's right. not the way it works anywhere. Yeah. Can you back up a little bit and, yeah, sure. and, and make that case? It's the way it works everywhere. It's the way it works everywhere. Like with your really terrific example a second ago, you are not going to get an increased retirement savings unless you go down to the Edward Jones office or pick your favorite financial investment firm and deposit your money in there. That's the only way to get the proof that they're good enough to make your nest egg grow, is you've got to trust in faith. Same thing. If, if you want the proof that a woman loves you, you're going to have to commit. You're going to have to say, you're going to have to lay yourself out 
and say, okay, I'm going to open myself up to heartbreak, but, you know, will you date me? Will you be exclusive with me? Will you get married to me? And that's how, I mean, yeah, sure, that's how people get hurt, right? But the only way that you can experience the proofs of love is to buy into it first. And so, and, and everything works like this. The only way that I can actually get from here to uh, the gas station down the street to fill my car up with gas is if I trust that if I pull out onto the street, the oncoming traffic is not going to hit me. The only way that I can prove that I'm not going to get hit between here and the gas station is to get on the road and go out and do it. The faith comes first. The faith of pulling out onto the street and driving comes first. And when I get to the gas station, I've had the proof. There, it's proven. I got here safely. But it's faith. This is the way knowledge always works. It's a, it, you're totally right to point this out is that it's just a complete, it's not, a, it's, it's actually not the difference between a religious view of faith and a non religious view of faith. It's actually the way faith and knowledge work for all humans everywhere. You commit to something and then you see the evidence of it. We hardly ever see the same, same thing with math. Like if you want it, so everybody's like, well, math is different. Math is like, that's cold, hard science. You know, it's proof. Well, actually, no. You have to commit yourself to this math teacher is telling the truth. Um, if I memorize these multiplication tables, it's going to make sense of my world. You commit to that process. You figure out if I know how to do algebra, I can do basic functions of my life. And then the basic functions of your life that you need math for actually provide the proof that memorizing, you know, fill in the blank, the geometric proof or the quadratic form, whatever, they actually prove that those things work. You can't get the proof until you buy in. And knowledge always works like that. The writer to the Hebrews links faith and our other subject of the day, faith and hope. Yeah. He says, quote, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. If the Bible meaning of faith is somewhat different from the world's use of mm -hmm. the term, and I like the way you succinctly said that, I guess the world is a sort of seeing is believing camp, and the church is a believing is seeing camp. Well, even the world is uh, under normal circumstances without like, you know, trying to prove that they don't believe in God or don't want to believe in God. Everybody is in the believing is seeing camp. So are there differences between how the world uses the term hope or, or non-Christian people, unbelieving people, they talk about their hopes? Right. And then Christian people talk about their hopes. Are those exactly the same thing, or do they differ? Uh, so the biblical, well, the Bible uses the word hope the way that we normally use it too, which is, you know, I, I hope the Cardinals win tonight, or, uh, you know, I hope my knee stops hurting. You know, something in the future that we'd like to happen, but we aren't convinced that it will happen until it does happen. But the Bible uses the word hope in, in a... Um, in a different way as well, and uh, it's definitely linked to faith. Uh, the Bible uses the word uh, hope in the sense of things that we're looking forward to in the future that we're convinced will happen, that we are sure will happen. So for instance, in Romans 5 through 8, Paul talks about hope quite a bit, especially at the beginning of Romans chapter 5. And then when he gets to um, Romans chapter 8, he, he lets us in on what he means by hope. The new creation is coming. And so he said, this is a guaranteed thing. It's going to happen. Just as, as Jesus died and rose from the dead, all creation is going to be renewed, he says in Romans 8. Well, he calls that the Christian hope. He doesn't mean something that Christians would like to see happen, but they kind of got their fingers crossed. He means that something that is guaranteed to happen, 
that, that Jesus is going to appear and make all things new again someday, but that Christians are so convinced that it will happen, it shapes and forms the way they, well, it should shape and form the way we relate to each other, uh, the way we tell the truth, or, you know, or the way that we are loyal to our friends, or the, the way that we care for our pets, that that is so locked in stone that Jesus is going to make things new someday, that it's not just that we hope for it and fingers crossed it will happen, but that we're sure it's going to happen and we're looking forward to it. So we, I, I've said this before, uh, this is one of your favorite topics, that is to stop thinking so much about going to heaven when you die mm-hmm. and focus a little more attention on being at the marriage feast of the Lamb on um, when Jesus returns and makes all things new again, something re- referred to as the great day of the Lord many times in Scripture. I hope to be there when the great day of the Lord takes place. Uh, I believe in Jesus, mm-hmm. so does my believing in Jesus affect my hope to be there? Or am I still kind of like rolling the dice here and and hoping for uh, seven to come up? No, this actually this this plays into what we were talking about earlier about faith. Uh, you know, you think about you invest your money at the local investment firm. That's an act of faith, and then the evidences start to happen. And what your hope is is that uh, when you retire, you'll have enough money to, to live on and, 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 and things of that nature. Whatever whatever you're hoping to do whenever you retire, but. When we say hope there, you know, the, the, the economic world being what it is, that's not a guaranteed thing. But th- th- it's roughly analogous. Um, a better analogy is this. Like, I'm married to Angela. I hope that when I go home tonight, she's there to give me a hug. That's, you know, in a certain sort of sense, like, you know, I, I, I'm looking forward to giving her a hug. And I hope it happens. You know, maybe what if she's not there? Uh, you know, I mean, what if she's dropping one of the kids off at something? Whatever. But actually, this is this is better because I'm so convinced because of my relationship with Angela. She is every night. She is there for me every night, and I am so convinced that if I would say, if I want to talk biblically, and I say, you know, I hope to see Angela at the end of the night uh, when she gives me a hug. What I'm saying is I am completely convinced that she's going to be there. And now somebody might say, well, what is your evidence of that? And I'll say, okay, so the evidence is that every night the past 20-odd years, she's been there for me. But I wouldn't have gotten those evidences unless I actually like, walked down the aisle, said the words to the preacher with Angela right there, signed the paper, that none of that would have happened if I hadn't committed in faith. And so there's a direct link between that commitment that Angela and I made to each other on our wedding day and the hope that she'll give me a hug tonight being realized. And that's only paid out over 20-some-odd years of experiencing the evidences of that faith, you know, bearing fruit, if you want to use some biblical terminology, or, you know, paying out, whatever. So it's the same thing. So here's the question. You want hope? All of us want hope. Look, you, you, there's not a single person in the world who gets up and goes to work and does so with a halfway sane mind if they don't have any hope that that job is going to, whatever, provide for their family or give them some sort of sense of purpose. Or, you know, if you're, if you're in a, a bad job, and this is a bad job with a bad job situation, a 
a bad boss maybe or really horrible co-workers, you would only go to that job if you thought in your head, this is going to get better. People don't stay in marriages unless they're convinced this is going to be good. Um, that hope is absolutely necessary. And the question is, is what is going to pay that hope out? For me, the only way that Angela is going to hug me tonight is if I got married to her a long time ago and I've stayed in that and seen all the evidences. I, I can't go to any, I can't go home to anybody else and just walk in and get a hug because none of that's there. And what Christians are insisting is that if you want real hope, if you want to know that everything is going to work out okay in the end, the only way, money is not the way to do that. People lose their money. Whole economies crash. Sex is not the way to do that. Um, uh, people lose their attractiveness. People lose partners who are willing to sleep with them. Um, pleasure's not the way to do that. Job advancement's not the way to do that. All these things, ultimately, they can't bear the weight in the hopes that we put on them. The only thing, family can't do it. Family, you know, people die. People get upset and change. People get really mad and leave. Um, nothing can do this except for Jesus. And I can't give you proof of that until you get into the story yourself. And that's, so that's why like when um, uh, Jesus' disciples, Jesus meets one of his disciples and uh, the disciples like, this is the guy. And he goes and tells his brother and his brother says, well, how do you know? And he says, come and see. That's the only answer. I don't have any proofs for you. Just come and see. So uh, this is very interesting to me, uh, but I'm a little confused because I hear you making similarities mm -hmm. between how this works in the world and how it works in the church, and then also pointing to very distinct differences as to how this works. Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly sure where the boundary is between those, but let's go back to the banker analogy here for a second. Yeah. There are people who are listening to us right now who have gotten an investment banker or gotten engaged and got married or whatever it is. Right. And they didn't just, you know, turn into the first uh, investment firm that they saw. They did a little research. It's easy to do. They made what they thought was an intelligent decision based on whatever evidence that they could gather. And three years later, they were wiped out. Right. And so they, they felt like they had engaged all the energy of that. Mm -hmm. And it turned out to be the worst possible outcome yeah. you can imagine. Right. When they thought they were well on their way to the best possible outcome. Right. How about the kingdom of God? If God promises to save people and he says in his word things that gives us or inspires us to be hopeful that we're going to live forever in eternity with him, is there a chance that I'm going to be wiped out? Is there a chance that I can believe that, trust in that, and on Judgment Day, find out, nope, nope, sorry, you're in the goat class over there. You you go stand over there, like the banker example that I gave. Yeah, uh, sure. If what if if what you're looking for is rational certainty proof, I would say, sure, there's a chance. There's a chance that I'm going to find out sometime soon that my mom actually never really loved me, that she's been using me all these years. I know for a fact that's not the case. I can't prove it to you. It could happen. It's happened to people before. But I know it's not going to happen because I know my mom loves me. I've been in that situation. Now, I know my mom is always going to love me 
with way more certainty than I know that the financial firm that I use to save my money is going to actually increase my nest egg. Although I'm fairly convinced about that too. And I, I'm way more convinced of that than I am that the Cardinals are going to win the World Series this year. Even though I've been, I, I've been around to know that the Cardinals are a good team, play good baseball when they need to, whatever. There's always a chance. And all I can say to somebody who would say that is, come and see. You know, what do you got to lose? You know, hey, maybe she will cheat on you someday, that, that girl that you're in love with. Maybe she will. But the only way for you to ever find out is if you pull the trigger. Maybe I will get killed in a head-on crash when I go down to the street to get my gas. But I'm going to bet that I don't. I'm going to pull out onto the street. And some, some people might say, well, that's, you know, it's, that's, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of risky, right? I mean, uh, and all, don't, don't you want certainty? And I would say, I, I, me personally, I'm not telling everybody they should feel like this. I gave up on certainty a long time ago. It's, it's a dream that cannot be fulfilled. You'll be paralyzed if you go around looking for absolute certainty. Knowledge never works like that. And we could talk philosophically about why that's the case. It's a very, very much an enlightenment thing. We have a man by the name of uh, uh, René Descartes to thank for this, that provability is the only legitimate grounds for saying you know something. I would say, actually, that's not the way relationships work. Come and see. Come jump into this story with me. And I can tell you for sure, my mom is always going to love me. My God is going to pay out. Jesus is going to make all things new. But I can't convince you of that. And so if you're like, um, you might be wrong, I'll say, yep, might be wrong. Just jump in here with me. Come and see. The book of Hebrews also has something to say about hope. In chapter 6, verse 19, we read, quote, We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, unquote. So this got my attention. I, I started thinking about the anchor. Mm -hmm. You know, when the anchor is doing its work, you don't get to see it. You, you're on a fishing trip. You're out in the middle of the lake. You drop your anchor because you don't want to leave that spot. You don't stare into the water to see if the anchor is doing its job. You're staying in one spot so you know that it is, right. even though you can't see it. Am I uh, playing around too much with the scriptures here, or is that valid? No, I, th I think that's his point, is that Christian hope is sure and certain, where, where other hopes aren't, because just by, the, just by living in a fallen world, it, like I say, there's a chance my mom might not love me. I think that's ridiculous. No, there's not. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I know your mom. Th th there's a chance that the Cardinals might not win the pennant this year. There's a chance that whatever, that my financial firm is going to lose all my money. There's chances of that, right? But the biblical hope is sure and certain because it's based not upon the vagaries of our economic system. That's quite a claim. The biblical hope is sure and certain. Yeah. Which in the world, if I hope for something and you tell me, well, what you're hoping for is certain, then I don't hope for it anymore. Right. It's not really a hope anymore, at least not from our everyday experience. So you've said something that's almost astonishing. The biblical hope is sure and certain. Can you talk a little more about that? Yeah, it's 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 based upon what is it? You know, what is the grounds of that hope? So, like again, I'm not sure that the Cardinals are going to win the pennant because I've seen their pitching this year, and it's not that something. You know, it's hot and cold. I'm not sure that my best friend is always going to be my best friend five years from now because we've had our moments before in the past. It's been up and down. There are times when we have, you know, a little 
uh, whatever you want to call it, relational coldness or just get tired of each other or sometimes. I don't know about all those things because, again, like the economic system isn't a, a sure thing. I don't know if I'm going to always have money. Uh, human relationships with other humans, which are, you know, broken and we, we tend to be selfish and that, that might, that, that may or may not be here. But if my hope is in the creator God who never fails, then that actually is certain. It's, it's not going to change. And this is one of that, you know, the text you read is really good. Actually uh, up a few verses before that in uh, verse 12, I believe the writer of Hebrews talks about the full assurance of hope. And what he means is that the Christian hope is completely assured, completely convinced. And it can be because what Christians hope in, uh, n- namely uh, God in the flesh, God in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, never fails, always pays out. So somewhere in the scripture, you probably know where, I can't remember. It says something like, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth, mm-hmm that Jesus is Lord or Jesus is the Christ, you will be saved. Yeah. Uh, have I been faithful to that text? I haven't overstated it. Um, you, not, you might be saved or you're on your way to being saved. Right. You're running a good race. Hope you make it. It's not, it says you will be saved. Yeah. So I hope to be saved. I really hope to be saved. Right. I understand what the Bible says about eternal death and eternal life. I hope to be saved. Can I say now, even though I haven't reached the end of my race or have not arrived at the great day of the Lord, I'm saved. I'm going I'm I'm going to be with Jesus forever. Can I say that now or should I be saying eh, I know this it's kind of a maybe yet. Uh, I hope it works out that way. Yeah, if Jesus is powerful enough to save you, so powerful that it's a hundred percent guarantee that nothing can beat him, then yes, you can say that. If there's something else that you're hoping in, uh, whatever, you know, pick anything besides Jesus, then no, you can't say it. But as a Christian, yes, you can. And but but by the way, not because my faith is strong enough. That's never the point of faith. The point of faith is, you know, if, if I trust that my mom loves me. It's what I'm not saying is that I really, really believe my mom loves me, and so that makes her love me. Sometimes you'll hear Christians talk about faith that way. Like if I have enough faith, you know, I just have to believe enough in Jesus, and then He'll save me. That's not the way faith works. You know, I believe in Jesus because He does save me. I believe in my mom's love for me because she already does love me. And so th- what what you're saying is spot. If we believe in our hearts that God has raised Jesus from the dead. What that means is that we've accessed that. We have a relationship with him because of that. And so it's real and totally appropriate for Christians to say, I know slash believe means the same thing. I know slash believe that Jesus belongs to me and I belong to him, and he's going to make all of this good on the last day. I don't want to go too much longer here, but can I tell you a brief story here and and get your reaction to it? I have a friend who uh, was a pastor and he was involved in what I guess we would call the word faith movement, the stuff that you see from the televangelists mm-hmm. very often. If you have faith, you can have whatever you say, that kind of stuff. Right. And so he was at a conference with 14 other word faith type pastors. Uh, they're doing their thing. And now it came time for the healing line. There was a lady in a wheelchair who was all bent over and all crippled up. And she some they had brought her in the hope that she would be healed by one of these guys. And he said that he watched as the 
14 healers before him all took a run at this lady, casting out devils, you know, applying the gift of healing, doing the, the thing that they do. And none of it worked. And the last one came to her and said to her, well, lady, I guess you just don't have enough faith. And my friend left this movement uh, because of this right. experience. Yeah. And he was left to console her after the last preacher pronounced this uh, judgment on her. Yeah. Can you talk about that? What's your reaction to that? Sorry. Oh, gee, that's a, uh, I have a, probably a long reaction to that. So first of all, I, I believe that Jesus uh, can and does heal people and that he uses other Christians who have the gift of healing to do this. But it's not their gift of healing, it's Jesus. You know, there's a lot of people, uh, you know, there's a lot of people in Galilee oh, during Jesus's life who didn't get healed. And there are some who did. Uh, there are some who did get healed and then later on uh, got sick and died. The promise that Jesus gives Christians that he is going to heal our bodies and heal our minds and heal our relationships is guaranteed. When he does that is up to him. Sometimes he does that in a sort of like uh, uh, preliminary signpost way. You know, somebody gets healed of a sickness here on, uh, you know, here in this life. But so far as we know, nobody's ever been healed of a sickness here in this life and then gone on to live forever. We all die. The main payout of that promise is that someday Jesus is going to, again, to say this again, you and I have both been saying this a lot this episode, Jesus is going to appear and make all things new. And that's guaranteed. Now, when he does that, that's up to him. And what's bad on those, those uh, Christian pastors is that instead of understanding that it's not their power that does it, and if the power doesn't work, it must be the fault of the person, they didn't do that. Instead, what they should have done instead is to say, Jesus, this is your power. Let's pray for this woman. If Jesus, if you decide to heal her right now, we will give you praise. If you don't decide to heal her right now, we're going to rejoice in the fact that you promised to heal her someday. But Jesus, this is your call. Because again, the Christian hope is not in Christian pastors. Christian hope is in Jesus, who does all things well and has promised to make all things new and guarantees that he'll do so because he's got the cachet to do it. He's got the power to make it all happen. Well, I think we've just about exhausted our time here, and we could probably go on, so maybe we should revisit this topic again sometime yeah. down the road. But for now, we say thank you for listening to Craving Answers, Craving God with Aaron Miller, pastor at St. James Lutheran Church in Glen Carbon, Illinois. When you select an episode, you'll have an opportunity to click the like button or to click the share button on Facebook or Twitter. And there's also a place where you can leave a comment. We love those. I'm Chuck Rather. Thanks for listening. May God bless your day.